Hey, there we are. I'm Richard Buse, welcoming you to the third in our series of studies on the book of Revelation in book by book. And here we are with Paul Blacker, my colleague, and with our special visitor to the program, and that's Stephen Nichols. And as we come to this number three study, we're taking two great visions, uh, which really introduce us to the visions that follow in the book. So Revelation chapter four, and actually on to chapter five. And I think we would call this Jesus, the lion, the lion and the lamb. But it starts off with a vision of the throne at the center of everything. So I'm going to read chapter 4, beginning at verse 1. Revelation 4. After this I looked, writes John, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven. And the voice I had first heard speaking to me, like a trumpet, said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and there before me was a throne in heaven, with someone sitting on it. And the one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian, a rainbow resembling an emerald encircled the throne. Surrounding the throne were twenty-four other thrones, and seated on them were twenty-four elders. They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning, rumbles, and peals of thunder. And of course we could go on. What a vision this is turning out to be already. So from chapter 4 onwards, we're getting a series now of visions. How should we start to understand them? How do they show what must take place, as John writes, after this? Mm. Well, I think that's right. It's a series of visions. And as you said earlier, as we're reading through Revelation, we're not seeing one consecutive story unfolding. We're seeing the same story from different angles, different viewpoints, if you like. So vision after vision after vision, but they're parallel. They're telling the same events. That's very helpful. So each begins, after this I looked, or then I saw, then I looked again, then I saw, then I heard. Um, this it's is it. It's not is... chronological, exactly. Just here we are again. And that's, we must keep that in mind as we read through Revelation. Ooh. Otherwise, we'll be blown off course very quickly. Yeah. Parallel, the same thing from different angles. Mm. Mm. That's very, very helpful indeed. And then this someone sitting oh, on a throne, Paul. I mean, in chapter 4, verse 2, who is this? Why is it called someone? Yes, yeah, someone. And it, because, of course, the Bible tells us no one has ever seen the Father at any time. Only Jesus knows the Father like that. And so when, for instance, um, Daniel has a vision of this throne room of reality, the first thing that strikes him is God the Father right there in the center of the throne room of heaven. He calls him the Ancient of Days. But of course, he doesn't see his face either. He sort of, he sees this majestic figure right on the throne at the center of reality, just as John does. And John can see how wonderful this someone is and he's like jewels and there's around him this emerald rainbow and he's like he's struggling to describe the wonder of this person who's right at the center of reality and I think that's so important there's God the Father at the center of reality and of course Jesus every day says every day begin your prayers by our Father in heaven He's like saying, at the center of all reality, in the control room of the universe, it's our heavenly Father, the someone, at the center of everything. And it's wonderful that Jesus taught us to call him our Father, oh. so that we can run to him in intimacy yeah. once we are followers of Jesus Christ. It's a tremendous Glorious. privilege every day, as you say, to be able to do that. And then these 24 elders, chapter 4, verse 4, who are these 24 elders surrounding the throne, do you think? Mm. Well, 
I love the comment of one of the commentators that the Revelation is a book of symbols, not of riddles. Ooh. It's not meant to trip us up, but um, we've already seen something of the angels, the, the, the seven letters written to the seven angels of the churches. And it seems the same sort of thing is going on here. 24 elders seated on the thrones. They seem to be angelic figures. And why 24? Well, because perhaps 12 tribes of Israel, the 12 apostles of the New Testament, 12 seems to be associated with the church. Um, so we think of the dimensions of the, of the heavenly temple that will come down at the end of Revelation with the 12 gates and the 12 angels by the gates. It's the number of the church. And I think it's wonderful that after we've seen the throne of the Father, the very next thing we see is the 24 elders representing mm. the church. Yeah. That's the closest thing to the Father. Yeah. That's, the know, next that's thing so see. encouraging because when you look back, say, to those 12 tribes of Israel, the children of Jacob. Hmm. It was the most dysfunctional family you could possibly <laughs> imagine. Here they are now around the throne of God in John's vision, which is Amazing. a great encouragement to anybody to realize God can do what he wants to do with any of us, even if they're from Jacob's family, which <laughs> is very important. Hmm. And then the four living creatures, the nearest to, to the throne. Oh, yeah. That's six, verse 6 there, Paul. Yeah. What do you think? Well, he's, quite a few people throughout the Bible see these four living creatures. Ezekiel, when the Son of Man comes to Ezekiel, he's got these four living creatures with him. Daniel sees them in his visions. And they're sometimes called the watchers, because here you see they're full of eyes. They see everything that's going on in the whole world. That's a key to who they are. They represent not just the church, but the whole created realm, the whole of creation. That's why there's four of them. Because in the Bible, the symbolic numbers, as, as Steve was saying, the, like four is the number of the whole world, the whole of creation. It's the point of the compass, north, east, south, west, <clears> the four winds, the four corners of the earth. All those are ways of seeing it in the Bible. So there's these four living creatures that represent the whole creation. They're there too. It's like all of reality converges on this throne that's at the centre of everything. That's wonderful. And that's, that's, again, is a help to realise that there are these symbolic numbers yeah. for the number of creation. We could say 12, as you say, the, the number of the church. Mm. Of course, earlier we were thinking about the number seven, and we shall come to that mm. again and again, which is the sort of ideal number, yeah. the rhythm of idealism. Yeah. And then, of course, we shall have 10 at some point. Ten. We'll come on yes. to that, I'm quite sure. So that's, that's very helpful to, as we get the vision of the throne at the centre of all things, and then we move on, I mean, it's rather rapidly, we're moving on to chapter 5. And then here suddenly there's a new vision. That, well, and yet it's, it's coupled. I saw at the right hand of him who sat on the throne, so we're still there in the throne room actually, a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And then this scroll in the Father's hand, what do we suppose it represents? <laughs> There have been various theories, haven't there, I think, over the years? There have been lots of theories. I mean, everybody wants to know the meaning of reality. Why are we here? What's history all about? Where is it going? Mm. Uh, why am I here? Where does my life fit into it all? Uh, lots of, uh, of theories and lots of people have claimed to be able to give the answer to that question. But John says, I wept and wept, this is verse 4, I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. No one can, can give the meaning of life, history, the universe or anything. And it's a little bit like Ecclesiastes, where without Christ, uh, Solomon says it's meaningless. Everything yeah. is meaningless. And he goes yeah. through all the experiences of life and death. Yeah. It's all meaningless without him. Yeah. 
But then as we come to chapter five and six, there is somebody who opens the scroll who is worthy. And so you mean you're saying really that there's been candidate after candidate who step forward saying, I can interpret yeah. this, right. uh, the meaning of life. And then eventually we're forced to say, no, I'm, I'm sorry, it's, it's not you. <laughs> Doesn't, so it's John not enough. weeps. That's right. But then you come on to, yes, the next bit. Well, isn't it true? Was it, who was it who said that it's like the title deeds of the universe? There was Anne Graham Lotz, who describes the scroll as the title deeds of the universe. She's Billy Graham's daughter. And of course, she's a wonderful Bible teacher. That's another good way of thinking of it. The meaning of history, the title deeds of the universe. That's right. And only one person is qualified to open the scroll, the lamb, as we see. And he pops open the scroll and we see that history does have a goal. History does have a purpose. It is going somewhere and it's going in the way that he wants it to go. It's he, he is the one who can open the scroll. Mm. And he's obviously possessed here with all wisdom, as it says there, with seven horns, seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And what is so interesting also, I suppose, is that, you know, the, the lion, it says there, mm. is going to the lion of the tribe of Judah, verse 5. He, he has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll. So you can imagine John thinking in his vision, right, well, where is this lion? Then suddenly on comes not a lamb, but a lamb, yes. looking as though it's been slain. And that is, again, one of the wonders of this, of this extraordinary um, vision. Because, Paul, why is the lamb or lion the only one worthy to open the scroll? Well, it's right there in what you just said. When he looks out, he says, there's a lion triumph. So he's like, oh, and he turns out, and it's a lamb who's been slain. Because the lion of Judah triumphs by being the lamb who's slain. And that's, the, that's how the meaning of history is unlocked and the universe is ruled and everything. It's reminding us that, and he is right in all the symbolic language, the heart of it is telling us the cross of Jesus Christ is the centre of history. That, I love it in John 17 where Jesus says, he's just about to go to the cross and he says, glorify me now, Father, with the glory that I had with you before the world was. And he's really saying the, the whole glory of God, the, the real and maximum revelation of who God is and what he's doing is now when Jesus is crucified. Like what? In this event? This is where the whole history of the universe finds its very centre. It is that. And all the... All the hosts of heaven agree. They're like, that's right. This is the thing that gives meaning to everything. The full reality of God's revealed. By the cross, the devil's defeated and death's defeated and sin's dealt with. All the things, all the problems are dealt with here. And why do people mostly think that the universe has no meaning or life has no meaning? Because the problem of suffering and there it is. Right here is the, the place where God suffers, the crucified God. Oh, it's almost too much for us. And yet this is it. They're telling us if you want to know where all the mysteries are unlocked and the secrets made known, go and sit at the foot of the cross and look at him. Because the cross is actually here described as the center. You are the worthy. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you are slain and with your blood mm. you purchase men for God. So the cross is at the center. The cross is again and again at the very center of all things. It's the, and it's the centre of our Christian worldview, it has to be. Mm. Of course, Bethlehem inaugurated the victory of the cross, the birth of Jesus. But then the cross secured the victory. Then we would say that the resurrection of Jesus underlined and endorsed the victory. Then we'd go on to say that the ascension of Jesus celebrated the victory as he's enthroned in heaven. Then we go on to say further, the gift of the Spirit at Pentecost drove the, the victory worldwide. 
And we could say that the coming of Jesus Christ at the end of the age will actually consummate and complete the victory. Wow. But the cross is right there at the center. And once we've got that, we're getting towards establishing our own Christian worldview. Mm. I mean, as we close off, you know, I've sometimes I've, well, I remember once interviewing some people for a post, and there were three people, all for this particular post. It was a church post. So I asked them each in turn, please describe your world view. They said, world view? Yeah, I said, I mean by that, your interpretation of the meaning of life on this, on this world. Oh, you need a bit of time for that, they said. No, I said, bullet points will do. Well, none of them could do it. And yet it ought to be possible for somebody who has a, even a rough understanding of the book of Revelation to be able to describe their worldview that it centers ultimately in Jesus Christ. And he is the explanation of this world's affairs. There's no harder task, obviously, in Revelation 5 than the task that John describes that no one could be found to interpret what the world is all about. No one could be found. That's no harder task, no sadder cry than the inability of the world to come up with somebody who can explain. But then, with the stepping forward of Jesus as the successful claimant to the interpreter of this world's affairs, there's no sweeter singing because then the singing mm. starts. And verse 11, I looked and heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands of times 10,000. They encircled the throne. That's why, of course, we love to sing in the churches. I don't know whether other belief systems believe much in singing. We do. Yeah. We do. And we take our cue, of course, from that uh, theme in Revelation 5, that as we look at it here, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. And it says, the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. Wow. Join us again for another in our series of Book of Revelation, at Book by Book.